Well, welcome to the True Alignment Podcast. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. We're live in the uh, True Alignment office here in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Yes, and uh, welcome and uh, thank you for listening. As always, thoughts, comments, questions, anything at all, welcome at info at truealignment.com. Please let us hear from you and uh, we'll make sure that you hear from us. Yeah, we're, we're busy uh, booking guests for upcoming podcast recordings. Mm-hmm. But today, it's an important conversation for us to kind of get out on the table because some of our work is, the intentionality of our work is narrowing in a little bit. Yeah. How so? Well, Edgar, I, I am always drawn back to, we started this conversation, you know, out of the great resignation, the great alignment. Yeah. And I think that's still a, still such a fun conversation mm-hmm. because because of that double whammy of sorts right you had the people leave they didn't have anywhere to go yeah seven eight months later they the majority of them went back to work at the place that they had left yeah and it's kind of interesting too we were talking about this last week uh, when we were visiting with the client which is that there's this this push pull this kind of a it really is a so often it's a competitive or leveraging of employees versus employers. And so the the age-old thinking of management versus employees and who has the upper hand. So here we are in the quote-unquote great resignation, and everybody's talking about and writing about the power of the employees and how they now have the upper hand. And um, and what 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 that did for organizations in terms of thinking and beginning to think differently about what employees wanted again. And I say again, because this isn't new. It's not, it's just, it's always been there. And now you see that, you know, you see articles written about and people talking about the power going back to employers that now they have the upper hand and it really, really makes one wonder, doesn't it? And so it brings up this topic of uh, at the intersection uh, of alignment is the individual. It's people and individuals and what their place is in this world of business um, and in, in, in looking at it, when we step back from it, what's the need for this struggle? What's the need for this competition when in fact the interdependence and the entanglement is so powerful? You're never going to get away from it. So what is what's the barrier to us getting smarter about it? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. I think part of it is this age-old thing that you have one life at work and one life outside of work. Right. And you, you know, we've been doing this for a while, and, and I hear you you talk to some of our clients and some of the people you present to about this misnomer about the work-life balance. Anything you know, that we talk about in balance right. makes it sound like a, a, a trade-off, yeah. right? And in that in that idea of uh, um, giving in on that negotiation of the trade-off is, is two losers instead of two winners, Yeah, right? You talk about that, that is not a win-win, but a lose-lose. Everybody's, yeah, and it's so fear-driven, isn't it? It's totally fear-driven, and I that's the part that is drawing... That's the part I'm waking up in the middle of the night thinking about. 
it, it it's personal. It's personal for me in, in my work life, not with true alignment, but uh, with my university job. It it's there all the time because and I, I think I shared this with you. I started to do a little writing. I realized that I I tire quickly the second I feel like I am a cog in the machine. Mm. If it if it doesn't if if I don't matter in the role. Yeah. So so if you don't matter in a role, that's the fear. And so you tire quickly? Well I if I don't matter in the role, then why am I in the role? Yeah. I, I, I think that's the thing. It's not um It's a great question. You know, what makes me want to do the things that I'm doing or I think there's a couple of pieces to what you're saying. The first one is, is that um, we get tired of fear. Fear tires us. Oh, it so does. So. The stress and anxiety, which is so much present in our world today, is, is all the different levels of fear. And those that we're conscious of and those that we're not totally conscious of or not conscious of at all. That pretty much day to day inform our behaviors and the choices that we make. And so... Fear is tiring, absolutely. Stress, anxiety is a tiring adventure. And so a great place to look at is, well, so what's the fear? <laughs> what, what's the fear that I'm engaging in? And in a way, by choice, keeping myself in. I, I'm, I'm yep. in this and I, and, I, and I stay in it. And there's so much to that. And then there's that sense of autonomy. We all want to have a sense of autonomy and a capability to make our own choices and live the lives that we want in the way that we want them. And that then takes me back also to the premise of, well, there's this ongoing struggle between employers and employees. What's that really all about? Well, of course, there's autonomy and stuff. And anytime you're playing a win-lose game, you're looking at creating hierarchy. And it's innate in us and natural. And we've talked about this here in the podcast. It's natural for us to engage in, in competition and, and hierarchy. The thing is, at what at what point do we recognize whether it's healthy or not for us? Yeah. Well, and we talk often with companies about the the what, why, and the how. Right. And the who. And the who. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that's the the how and the who. We recognize over the the time of our work with companies that those are the two important questions, and so I think that's why we're a little incredulous about this. Uh, you know exchange between the employer and the employee here uh-huh. because if the how and the who were the important parts of that conversation, this would lessen. Yeah, I think that's true. Cause, cause alignment at, at its core, the true alignment framework in an organizational context mm-hmm. really is about that employee well-being, right? Because that alignment between the employee experience and the customer yeah. experience yeah, which is born out of that what and why, mm-hmm. but that alignment—that's the how. It pays attention so closely to the who. Yes, and that is really a conversation about employee well-being. And I think this is, is when I when I say that we're really having a new additional intentionality about the alignment framework. We're realizing this gap in, in organizations. And this really is the key to their future. It's not an argument over whether I have remote workforce or not, or in-person workforce. Right. It's it's the experience of of 
the employee. It's the experience of all of us as leaders, as employees, as, as a stakeholders in business to better understand and better define what the well-being is and what that looks like. And so that, of course, engages the who and yes. the how. And then the what and the why, of course. And the what and the why have become bigger you know, picture elements. And when you break it down and look at each individual that's a part of that, then you begin to recognize how personal it truly is and yeah. how meaningful it is to be able to define what is what is well-being and what does goodness look like from the standpoint of someone's uh, psychological as well as physical health. You've heard me say for a long time, and I think in communication, that two versus three-point communication where you have the third thing that can help help you not have your biases with one another in the conversation. But the, the what and the why of an organization really are a third point. They're the draw, but the lived experience of an employee in an organization. And, and my daughter, she teases me because mm-hmm. one day she, we have some sport game. She said, who are you, who are you rooting for? And I said, well, this person, she said, why? Well, cause I, they're the underdog. She goes, that's on brand. <laughs> that's, that's what she said to me. And I was like, huh, am oh. I, can I be read that easily? And the answer is probably yes. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I tend to root for the underdog, which means I tend to have a heart for the employees uh, of an organization almost instantly. Well, it's, and then that's an interesting aspect of the, our work as well, which is it seems like whoever feels like they're not getting their needs met sees themselves as the underdog. Yeah, it moves. So, so yeah, it's not so constant. at times it's where leaders say, well, we're the underdogs because we're not getting what we need or we're not accomplishing what we want. And we see that employees are not providing or, or getting us there. Right. Yeah. And, and of course, employees are looking at leaders and saying, we're not getting what we need to get there. And it's, uh, it, again, <laughs> it comes back, it comes back to, well, how do we help each other? to get there. And that, that I think is the ideal. And I can imagine listening to this conversation, somebody going, Oh yeah, right. Okay. Now let's open up the door to, to Nirvana. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Yet that, yet that, uh, interdependence and entanglement uh, that we've been talking about, um, and looking at alignment through that lens and saying, okay, we're all interdependent. We're all entangled with one another and, in, and, in, in what it is that we're seeking and wanting. So how do we sort through that and then create alignments to as best as we can? Because I don't think we'll, ideally we'll never get it perfect. So we can always prototype and always innovate. Um, what's the best way to do that to satisfy and maximize the level of satisfaction for needs and desires that we all have as, as human beings in in the context that we're in? And, and add to that, Edgar, the... This idea of the individual inside of an organization cannot be, employee well-being cannot be independent of the person's well-being. You're not, we're not just focused on your well-being while you're in the organization. And you've, you've said the word entanglement a couple times, and you've brought up this phrase in the last few weeks of, about quantum entanglement, because it's not just these issues. It's not how they're entangled, the employer-employee in an organization only. Yeah. That's one plane. Mm-hmm. Right, but then I bring the the individuals outside the organization, and I talk about the alignment in one's personal life. Yeah, and the intersection of that alignment 
with the organizational yeah. alignment, and now we have that quantum entanglement that you've yeah. been talking yeah. about. Yeah, and I, I take that to the next next phase of that, which is what is what is uh, quantum alignment look like in the broader in a really in a broad tense sense of the word. Um, what does alignment look like in all facets and aspects of our human experience? And what are the benefits that we derive from being able to look at it through that lens? And understanding that interdependence means that if we create a change in one part of the system, we actually can influence or will influence at some level the entire system. And being able to see it and sort it through that, I think, is... is uh, is where we're heading. That's where we're going. Because unless we do it, and you can see this in everything that's happening around us socially, politically, and again, just a big reminder to everyone, we live in a business society. It's all about that. And so at the end of the day, understanding that and, and recognizing and using that, I think is of tremendous value. Yeah, that, that shared experience that we live in a business society. I, I think that's... Um that's an underappreciated comment that you make there, right? I mean, and so, you know, in my work here at the university, we talk about um, business's job is to form souls, Mm -hmm. right? Because our identities are formed by the businesses we interact with. You know, um, I I think this is one of the interesting conversations about the the world of sustainability is that Uh it's, it's a desired, but people have yet to, change your behaviors to really indicate that that is a desire. There were people in London hundreds of years ago that that were dropping over because of the poor air quality. Yeah. Right? In the UK from the the industrial revolution, right? Sure. And the factories. I mean, it's just amazing. And then you look at us now, and here we are in 2024, and we're still still trying to manage the same problems or work our way out of the same problems that we were creating back then. Yeah. Well, and I think that this is the, this is if I move, if I move and do these actions over here on my right side that are indicative of the things I believe personally, and then I come to work or I, or I participate oh. in a business economy over here with my think left the, hand. Think of the internal tension, the internal conflicts we all carry. So yes, and that we and we're cycling through the clothes in our closet, or you know, it's just it's intense. It's really intense to just pause for a moment at a large shopping um, Costco or a Sam's Club or your local large grocery store. I don't know how many of us actually just stop and pause and stand there and look at the aisles. I did this recently where I just stopped and looked around and saw how full all the aisles were of consumer product. Absolutely amazing. And so how much do we actually contribute on an individual level to both the good of that as well as the downside? Yeah. I was, uh, were you and I talking about this this week? You know, my neighbor, um, shout out to Randy. He works for EcoCycle here in town, and they were instrumental in getting the plastic bag ban Mm-hmm. Um, through, and uh, somebody was sharing me with me this week that in California, what we're finding is that people are buying the non-plastic bags. They're paying the ten cents when they leave for the non-plastic reusable bags, and then throwing, throwing them, them out. Away. Um, <laughs> oh. 
Right. And, and so, you know, I, I mean, I, this is, I think, the really interesting thing to me because, you know, as human beings, like it's a constant work in progress. Right? Yeah. It's not a straight line. It's a, you know, if we, if we, if we bring in, um, if we bring in our friend that talks about the squiggly life, Claudia Batten, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's kind of our human behavior, like in the minute. Yeah. And so if we, if we know that's the human behavior and it moves like that, and we have these, you know, I think the societal expectation that we separate these two things, like that's the work-life balance com- uh-huh. commentary. Um, I don't know. Is that a reasonable expectation? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Blunt answer. No, I love it. I mean, I, I agree not, wholeheartedly. I don't want not. that to be the answer. It's not who we are, who we are. Everything's personal. And um, all aspects of our lives come into our being and who we are. And it's great to, I think it's wonderful to be able to understand that we'll put on different masks and wear different personas and play different roles in different contexts that we find ourselves in. At the end of the day, we are we, the me, right? It always comes back to the me. And, and then, of course, deep within our, you know, our souls and our beings or our values, and then the constant tension that we throw up and create around us um, when we're not living in alignment, we're not truly being, well, let me go back to true, right? Truly in alignment to being my true self. Yeah. And what does that represent and what kind of attention and conflict that creates? Because that's that tension between what I'm getting and what I want and who I am yeah. and the desired state of what I'm getting, what I want, and who I who I really intend to be. Well, the weight and the heaviness of carrying those personas too, because I, you know, I have, oh. I, I am, I am challenged by this, and they come in multiples. Each and every single day, I am challenged by. Um, and somebody gave me a, a colleague. It was really funny. Um, you know, in the workplace, you don't often. Sometimes you have no idea how old people are, and so. Um, and you don't ask, right? I mean, this is not in, in, until you have a, a, a close relationship. I, you know what? I got to tell you, I break that. If there's a rule around that, I'm constantly breaking it. I love asking people how old they are. I asked a guy I asked a guy at the Frozen Man Museum, the International Cryogenic Museum, how old he was. And, he, and it took him a while to answer because he seemed like quite surprised until he finally told us he was 26. I said, well, how are you doing? You got a lot going on for 26. And then he felt good about it, right? Yeah. Oh, when I, you know, it's funny you say that because when I worked, when I worked for the Air Force, where you know, age, rank comes with experience, experience comes with length of time, which uh-huh. means it parallels age. Right. So it's the only place I've, you know, since before I was of legal drinking age that I had to lie to make myself older. You know, now I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum, and I, you know, I, I wish people would think I were younger. You know, luckily I'm bald and there's a bunch of gray in my beard. And so I could tell people when I was 30 something that I was 40 because it, it was better in the situation. You know, and I think that that's the, that's the weight and the constant battle. It shows up in a lot of different ways, doesn't it? It does. And so, yeah, my colleague the other day, we were having this conversation and, you know, I, I enjoy having the conversations about the, the generational stereotypes. <laughs> uh, 
And, you know, because I recognize that they're just oh, that. Yeah. They're just stereotypes, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but There's <laughs> a reason for that they exist, though. Heads up. She's, she's from Germany, and I, mm-hmm. um, you know, so there's a, you, you understand this, uh, you know, uh, innately, literally, uh-huh. <laughs> um, that it is, you know, there's a bluntness to the German culture. And so um, she said to me, I don't understand. And she said, my man is a, is a Gen Xer. <laughs> and she says, I am a millennial. And he just feels responsible to do this thing because his job needs him to. Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't have I don't. <laughs> I know. And I was like, huh. And then, you know, this is where you get the, the armchair psychoanalysis with your colleagues, right? And I'm like, yeah. You know, I am a Gen Xer, and I just, that weight of responsibility of who I'm supposed to be and who, it's outside of me. And I feel that very heavily, and it's hard, 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 hard to figure out who I am at times. I've seen it. I've seen it a couple times, silent retreats, extended Mm -hmm. vacations. I've seen it, but it's really difficult to give up who I feel like I'm supposed to be for others. Yeah. And we talk a lot about that. That's part of the me model, right? You've got, you've got the nature and the nurture. So naturally, who am I? What are my tendencies? I think it goes beyond that. I think our interests evolve from that. And then there's the, uh, uh, all these signals, all the uh, inputs that we get from the people around us, that nurturing side which certainly can have its benefits when there's a reinforcement of the alignment to who you really are. And then there's also the downside, all the expectations that people put on one another that uh, become part of our being, our personas, and what we're supposed to be for others as opposed to who we really find ourselves wanting to be. I think that's in our, I think societally that's, um, that's become a really big piece of um, how people define their roles. What's the number one occupation that people want, right? Younger people, it's to be an influencer. Yeah. I want to be an influencer. Okay. Um, I can see a spectrum to that. One is I want to influence out of being aligned and showing up for really who I am. And the other end of the spectrum is trying to figure out what the world is is going to respond to me. for and fulfilling that role in which case i can be completely misaligned to who real who i really am and yeah then you can and you get that the role of deception and phoniness comes into play and boy i'll tell you what that's a tough one to live with i am uh i think i shared this with you that i'm reading i'm currently reading uh tim ferris's tribe of mentors yeah right so yeah, let me take that to on be the enjoying plane. it I, well i am i it's it's such a it's such a nibble book, right? I can yeah. I can go read one person's holy answers in in, in a minute in between something yeah, else. There and it is. Consumption at the rate of today's world. It's exactly right. And so, uh, for those of you unfamiliar with that, that's uh, it's an older book of his. Mm-hmm. It's from the early early two thousands, and he sent questions out to a large swath of different people. Um, you know, from uh, who was the one I just read, and I'm not going to remember her name. Um, if I were to see it, but she's a burlesque star. Mm-hmm. She's the one that uh, 
you know, as we just got through with the Super Bowl and Taylor Swift and, and all this, uh, Taylor Swift did a video, which is modeled on this burlesque star's uh, champagne bath. Uh-huh. Um, and if you ask me the song, I don't know the song here. Okay. But, um, and no movie reference. Yeah, no movie reference in that. <laughs> Not yet. It's still percolating, the movie reference uh-huh. here. But she, she really talked about being that performer. Mm-hmm. In, in living into that performer. And she, she clarifies kind of why uh, she became that performer and, and, and what it means to her. And then, you know, the next chapter is, uh, is an actress from India who, who has a different kind from of Bollywood. version. Yeah, from Bollywood. And she, one of the questions is, what piece of bad advice do you get? Have you had in your life? And so that's a really interesting uh, feedback that they give in that one. But you could see the difference between the people carrying the the external expectations and even those in positions where you would think they carry the external mm-hmm. really leaning into the internal. And so fun to see those really close together in that book, um, talking through those experiences. Yeah. I think it's a really fun, we talk a lot about expectations, articulating expectations. Un, un, unspoken expectations, slippery slope, resentment, anger, mm-hmm. distrust, disappointment, and we've had entire conversations wrapped around that one. And then there's this we facet. probably always will. Yes, because there's another facet of it, which is what are my expectations of myself and what do I hold and expectations of others, and then also the expectations of self. And this can get really, really scary if you've if you've ever tried it out there, give it a go. Is get really really honest with some people that think they know you pretty well, and check it out, and and challenge yourself to speak wholeheartedly, truthfully, truthfully, vulnerably uh, about your own expectations for yourself and what you really really want. Not 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 the expectations you have of others, because here's the interdependence. At some level, you need to influence them in a way to get what you want, and yeah. get, right, and be who you really want to be. Right. So you'll need to be able to do that, and to bring that expectation not of others, but rather of yourself into the spoken realm. Here's what I really expect of myself, and then take a look and 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 see if you're really getting to the core, and if you're able to share um, truthfully, openly, honestly. Um, and it, it's a way of expressing who really am I, yeah. right? What, what does that look like? Who do I look like? Yeah, what's my true being? Yeah, what a what a bunch of wonderful feedback. So I'll give you the movie reference now. Okay. And so this is uh, it's not it, Dumb and Dumber, is it? It's not. It's just as poor of a movie as that, though. I uh, gotta tell you, I recently <laughs> saw. A, I was up at the Stanley Hotel, and then I saw the clip of when they walk into the five hundred dollar plate dinner. <laughs> And the guy says, you know, this is a $500 plate dinner. And he takes a big wad of cash out of his pocket, looks at it, he goes, here you go, we're buying an hour. <laughs> and, then the guy, and then a car, Jim Carrey's character says um, something about, uh, oh, yeah, and here you go, this is for seconds. And he sprays him in the face with the <laughs> breath freshener. <laughs> that's right. The, uh, oh, that's, uh, if you ever get a chance to see the interview of Jeff Daniels, you know, who's this very serious actor. Oh, yeah. How he got into character for that. 
for that. Oh, one. yeah. It's just, it's I'll quite never fun. forget him and, Net, and uh, yeah, what was it, Network? Yeah. The, uh, oh, the newsroom. The newsroom, excuse me. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, Modeled no. on the network. Yeah. yeah. I love that. No, the movie reference, Edgar, um, in a similar vein of, of my poor movie taste is Wedding Crashers. And so, uh, have you ever seen it? I have. I'm really okay. Yeah. So, if I may, I'm going to set an expectation that you have me worried. (laughs) This is, uh, you you know, two things I'll bring up out of the out of that story. Um, One for the audience listening, which uh, hopefully many of you have not watched that movie, but it is uh, Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn, and they are um, young and stupid, and they decide that they're their pathway to meeting women is to go crash weddings and pretend they belong. And they're quite good at it. And um, they end up crashing a senator's daughter's wedding. And and the scene that comes to my mind, I, I posted this on my personal Facebook this week, was the scene where Vince Vaughn decides that his way to get attention while he's crashing that wedding is to go make the balloon animals for the kids. Right. Right. And so the... The little YouTube clip I, I, I posted is just something I have always found funny, but he's he's making these very elaborate balloon animals. And he says to the next boy, he says, you know, what would you like? And he says, I'd like a bicycle. And he's like, well, that takes a lot of balloons, and it's going to be really difficult to make a bicycle. To which the kid says, do what I told you, clown. <laughs> and I... <laughs> Yeah, he offered to make a giraffe, and the and 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 the kid just, you know, and he, you know, he begrudgingly makes him this, you know, hugely elaborate uh, balloon bicycle, uh-huh. which is, you know, quite the task. But but you know, I, this is how, this is kind of the work model sometimes. Uh huh. Right. Here's here's my skill set. Here's what I can do. No, I want a bicycle. And so that's, you know, that's one portion of why I think that movie belongs in the reference this week. But the other one that's is a good reference. they are those, everybody in the movie uh-huh. is not who they appear to be. Right. Right. I mean, those two gentlemen, um, they crashed this a senator's daughter's wedding and, uh, you know, they realize they have to keep up pretending to further what they think is a true relationship, mm-hmm. each one of them. And it's all lies. It's all lies. You know, they say we're venture, something like venture capitalists from Vermont or something like this, which is just, you know, it's kind of funny, right? Yeah, come on, it's some man, the Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, funny story. Yeah. I, I attended bar as a catering, uh, a catering worker next to Ben and Jerry, actually. Oh. I made strawberry margaritas with, with Ben and Jerry. Oh, nice. Yeah. They're pretty, pretty uh, fun people. I bet. It was their shareholder meeting. And so. My, oh. Be my guess that they would be. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. But uh, you know that that idea of who they're supposed to be to fit in with that crowd is in there too. Yeah. So you you talk about you know getting close with your friends and being able to really get the feedback about who you are and who you're trying to be. Okay. Yeah, and now take this to the. Um, it, it, it's probably not even that extreme, but then people needing to show up every day. And taking on a certain persona role in their work or pursuing or trying to contribute in a way that doesn't align to, first of all, who they really are. Secondly, their values, their beliefs. I mean, you can take this uh, into competency arena. 
am I doing a job and learning and doing something that I'm really not, not wanting to do? Why? Why is always the question right there, right? Yeah. I, I, and you know, this is what, this is what my colleague gave back to me. You know, you Gen Xers, you feel like you're so responsible for something. Yeah. And I think that's the. And I like peeling away at it because, you know, we've had this conversation too about the why. And uh, so mine is, I, I move more towards a what, what's in it for you? What is motivating you? What is it that you're really looking for here? Um, I, I I understand the whole why piece from the emotional standpoint. I think you get much more much more specific and get a better lens onto it when you start asking questions about what are you what are you really seeking? What's your fulfillment look like? What is that? I, you know that's such an elusive question. You know I think on the corporate side as we think about that employee well being conversation, well, it's it's elusive because. I think it's the, as the answers fly through the air in my own brain, mm-hmm. especially for me, it's the, it, it's almost a window shopping version. So I got a lot of potential answers, but I'm having a hard time figuring out if it's my answer. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Or if we went back to if it's a, an answer that somebody's expecting of me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I also think that that what piece of it, so I was working uh, earlier today on putting together a brief description for a keynote for um, a glo- focusing on the global marketplace. And I came back to this idea of, well, if you really want to see and experience the global marketplace, you you just strip it all the way back down to what's a customer experience and what is human motivation and finding that human motivation is universal. And if we can use that as a framework for our our conversations, our dialogue, our communication, our inner forms of innovation and come back all the way to that, that simplicity, that, that power of understanding who we are at a deep level and what motivates us and the what behind that, that's a really, really just a powerful way to see things. Yeah, and like so it. the complexity of a global marketplace, you take everything out and you really got just, you know, just three simple mm. ideas of what people are looking for. Yeah. I, you, you've convinced me that that's the what that matters. What what motivates me? Yeah. So when people say why, you might want to just say, well, why is well, there's something here and it's a what? What motivates me? What is that all about? Yeah. What's that energy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So quantum entanglement. Quantum alignment. That's where I'm going. <laughs> well, that's we're we're it's quantumly entangled. It's we're a, after quantum it's alignment. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it goes back to that conversation and I forgot where it was certainly a got it some uh, from something I was listening to. And it was the two aspects of uh, interdependence and entanglement. And it got me to thinking about you know, the whole idea about quantum. And mm-hmm. Colorado here is going to be the hub for the quantum hub. Um, mm-hmm. And that's yep. what they're leaning into. And I'm stepping back from saying, what, what exactly does that mean? And the whole idea of quantum. So looking into that and thinking about that and interdependence and entanglement. And then realizing that 
that's what alignment is about, is to see in that entanglement, to see that in that interdependence where the common threads are. Well, there's a, you know, choose your adjective, whether this is the, the 10G version, the 4D version, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to put in there. But, uh, you know, I think, Edgar, if we take it back to this employee well-being, if you think about the... It winds up being true alignment 3.0. Well, the <laughs> yeah, but, you know, employee well-being now in, in the current models in most organizations is done on the, the 1.0 model. Yeah. Right? And it so, is. you know, we had a great discovery with with a client a couple weeks ago, which was the conversation whether or not we were training people or telling people. Oh, yeah, we had a great conversation. That turned out to be. Yeah. And I thought that was um, that was a little bit of an aha moment for some folks. Yeah, I'd say big time. Mm-hmm. Be- because if we want to build the, both the competencies and the confidence of our employees, mm-hmm. you know, we got to get to that trust. Which the irony of the speaking of quantum, you know, alignment. You know, we have trust in that model of the coach's slide rule. We have uh-huh. trust in the model of the competitive advantage Nautilus. We have trust in a lot of places that we keep returning to. Um, you know, it's a place to pivot things around. Mm-hmm. And that trust is both the internal trust, which is that personal alignment. Yeah. Am I, I agree. Am I true to myself? Can I both hear myself and listen to myself? Or probably the opposite order. Listen to myself and hear myself. Um, am I aware of what motivates me? Yes, and then that leads us to, at least for me it does, to understand that if you're going to evoke or use trust, which we all do in var- in various ways, it gives us the opportunity to stop and have a conversation, to dialogue about what the what the definition or meaning of trust is. Because we all, at different times in different relationships, will use trust in different ways. We we say the word, we use the word, and very often, I think actually in most cases, we don't stop to say, well, what does trust actually mean? What does trust mean in this moment, in this relationship? What does trust mean in terms of a brand and a marketplace? And what's the definition of trust? Because certainly, you know, shopping at, sorry, I'm it comes to Walmart, shopping at Walmart is going to be a lot different than stepping into an Apple store. And so what, what are we trusting in both experiences is actually different. And so it evokes a different kind of trust, just like in a relationship. Trust can be truth. truth. Trust can be, I trust you're not going to let me down. You're going to help me succeed. And now we're back to the alignment work and all the common threads of humanity. I was um, giving a talk last weekend and I was introducing, and I, I've done this a couple times in my life that I can recall, but when you get out of age range, sometimes your references don't work all the time. And so I was using a Seinfeld reference. Well, at my youthful age, that doesn't happen. <laughs> As Leonard Cohen said, I'm just, you know, back then I was just a six-year-old kid with a crazy dream. There you go. Mm-hmm. I was uh, using a Seinfeld reference, um, and... Uh, my younger crowd had no, no idea what I was, what I was talking about, and so, but I was, I was talking about the soup Nazi episode, and where that business, the way that the inner detective with their customer, was that the customer was not to question anything. 
And they trusted in the soup. They trusted in the soup. Which means they trusted in the soup Nazi. That's exactly right. <laughs> and so the minute they started to question, they broke down that layer of trust. Uh-huh. Which is really a great, uh, great analogy. I mean, that's a really good way to look at all of our relationships. I think that there's a real challenge when someone questions the definition of trust in a relationship. That that's, that's, that's challenging because it really asks us to be open and honest and express what we really want. And as we know, one of the ways to protect the relationship is not to move, to get to that real level of intimacy and truth. We, we so often hide that. We hide that. We stick it in a closet, hoping that no light gets shed on it. And uh, it keeps us safe, but it really doesn't because we're constantly living with the fear. And so I think this conversation or, or raising the conversation, what does trust mean? Um, it's a wonderful, rich conversation yeah. to be able to have. And at the same time, of course, because it's so rich and wonderful, like a lot of things in our lives, it's scary yeah. leaning into it. Yeah, I, well, this is, I, I love the podcast just because we get to we get to wonder a little bit here, right? Wonder and wander simultaneously. Yeah, it just, it just raised a question for me. Is, so can you trust to lean into love? What does that mean? To truly lean into it, to, to, uh, to trust in it. Yeah, to have that level of openness that, that's required for that. Well, every <laughs> every romantic comedy or yeah. uh, story on there the planet is. is, you know, a version of I don't trust in it, and then I have to learn. Mm-hmm. I have to learn that. That's the whole arc of the. <laughs> yeah, whether it's leaning in, letting go, yeah, trusting in myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so here, this this just came to my mind, and there's alignment for you, <laughs> <laughs> Edgar. We were. We have talked over these last, um, well, we've presented with different groups the the change process model, mm-hmm. right, the transition process model. Right. And I'm going to, you have to refresh my memory because the what's at the top left before you get to denial? Denial. So denial then. Recognition. Recognition. And then you get the grappling with your emotions. Right, the grappling with loss and the fear. So that that trough mm-hmm. in the middle of the transition process. Yeah. Which, by the way, when you invert it, that that's actually what we're talking about. And then the corniness is the change champion, and you know, getting over the bell curve, and yeah, that's really what we're talking about is getting through the the fear and uh, and all the anxiety and stress that comes with the change. So I just wonder. It if gets personal. This is uh, you know, I'll present a little bit of a second movie reference. The movie Inside Out, which is about all the different emotions kind of fighting for space. Uh-huh. You know, if here's my here's my wonder. In an, in an employee context, we expect a little bit of homogeny of those things. Okay. Right. You you come to work. Yep. Think of that industrial model. Yeah. You come to work. Your job is to do X for Y time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the homogeny. We always expect you to do X for Y time. Yeah. So you don't matter in that model. But in 
in the ideal spaces where where you are bringing your humanity to work every day. Mm-hmm. In that model where the emotions are fighting for space in your life, oh. is it possible? You know, we talk about the change model as an as a longer arc in an organizational structure. Again, but, yeah. But is it possible that you might be going through miniature versions of those change Absolutely. models all day long? Uh-huh. You do. So what a what a what a puzzle to be solved by organizations to think about employee well being. Yeah, and it's not. Yeah, it's not some kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, unattainable code that needs to be, you know, a recipe that needs to be found or code to be broken. I, I do think that that's, that goes with um, helping or, helping or uh, providing employees with different ways to create their own well-being. You know, how much time do we spend? Uh, how many? How often do you hear of employees um, actually being given resources or um, "quote unquote" training or learning development environments uh, through which to explore change and transition and learning how to apply it in their day to day lives? And one could just imagine the incredible psychological benefit and power that's embedded in that for a workforce, for a group of people in an organization, how powerful that would be, not just in the context of what's happening within the, within the, uh, within the organization itself, rather in the lives of the people in it and, and all aspects of their lives. Yeah. And that's the misnomer of the, of the change model, right? It's, it's not an idealized place that you get to on the other side of change. Very good. Yeah. It is the active component of exploration. It is. Yeah. As the old models are all about get everybody over the bell curve and then you have a commitment to a change. And the reality is that's not actually the way it works. Maybe in the grand, you know, if you look at it really broadly, you'd say, yeah, we've got a whole bunch of people that are doing something in a new way or moving to, towards something together. But keeping in mind that moment by moment, Moment by moment, they're undergoing changes and psychological reorientations as part of that process. So you just can't stand back and go, yeah, look at the bell curve. <laughs> I mean, tear that one apart and see what's really going on in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, that's, a, that's a powerful undertaking. Well, and you're doing that in your personal life, Edgar, and you're doing Absolutely. that in your work life because Absolutely. they're not distinct and different from each other. Very much so. Uh, so much fun in that conversation, Edgar. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Um, great conversation. We got some good guests coming up. Um, yeah. So let's uh, let's say this. Um, keep an eye out for announcements at uh, at alignment dot at truealignment dot com. Um, send us your thoughts, your comments, your questions to info at truealignment dot com. Continue and your and please uh, share the word. Continue to listen to the podcast and to share it with others. Um, I think uh, at the end of the day, our purpose here is to provide benefit and provide value to every individual out there that's seeking alignment. Which, by way of human nature, is what we're all doing all the and time. We're doing all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I listen. That was a really nice way to say. Share the podcast with your friends. Give us a review. Give us a rating. If your organization... You're much more succinct than I am. (laughs) 
If your organization would like to have a conversation about alignment, well-being, alignment of the individuals, mm-hmm. info at truealignment.com. Yeah, and reach out to us. Let us hear from you. So thanks for joining us on the True Alignment Podcast, where we talk about all things alignment. All of them. In business, in our lives, uh, in society as a whole. So thanks for joining us. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Saginaw. Have a great day. Live aligned. <laughs>